0: Thank you for listening today. We are so honored that you would take time out of your day to check out one of our messages. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit us at www.verdigrisassembly.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Veritas Assembly. And now, here's this week's message. Amen. I'm thankful for what Jesus has done. He's won the victory for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that was some that was some good singing and preaching by Miss Charity this morning. Amen. She's talking to us about encouraging our walk with Christ. Amen. And what God is desiring to do. And I'm I believe we do need to give the Lord some praise. Amen. For what he's doing in our life. Don't ever fail. Listen, it's okay. It's okay for for us to have difficult times and downtime. It's okay for us as long as we don't stay in it. But listen to me. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't don't ever be afraid. Don't ever fail to honor the Lord in your life with praise. You don't have to be afraid of what other people are going to think about you because it it doesn't matter what other people think about you. It matters what Jesus thinks about you. Amen? It matters what Jesus has done for you. And if He's won this victory for you, it's okay for you to be in your car and people to look over and say, what are they doing? You know, it's all right for you to lift your hands and to sing out the top of your lungs. It's okay for you to honor the Lord. It's all right for you to do that in front of your family, in front of your friends. It's okay for you to talk about Jesus. Come on, people talk about this peer pressure that the world has and how it causes people to fall and fail. And I tell you, there's a godly peer pressure on the other side of that. Amen? Where we can influence the world by saying, we're not going to stand for that garbage. We're going to stand up for Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what the Lord wants you to do because God has called you to be a leader God has called you to be a leader how many of you believe in godly leadership amen we're going to talk about continue on with our power series that we've been working through from the book of Philippians and this morning we're going to begin to talk about the power of leadership I want to read to you what I found from the book passion for excellence from Tom Peters and he says this Leadership is a sacrifice. It is self-denial. It is love. It is fearlessness. And it is humility. And it is in the perfectly disciplined will. This is also the distinction between great people and little people. The harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. And let me just make a distinction there. I don't believe there are any little people in God's kingdom. Come on, somebody. The role of the leader is to enhance, transform, coach, care, trust, and cheerlead. The activities of the leader are to educate, sponsor, coach, and counsel using appropriate timing, tone, consequences, and skills. The power of leadership. Now some of you, when you heard this description this morning, you began to automatically mark yourself off the list of scriptural or spiritual leadership. When you heard the definition, you began to say to yourself, well that's not me, and I'm not doing that, and that's not what I'm used to doing. And so you automatically mark yourself off the list, but here's what I'm telling you is that every single born again believer is leading in some way. It is whether or not you choose to develop your leadership skill for Jesus Christ and whether or not you will continue to grow as a godly leader. But here's what I want you to know. Every single person that is a child of God is a leader in some way. Amen? Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse number 19. Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to look together in verse number 19. The Word of God says this, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know His proven character." That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Aphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now, this is a very interesting passage of Scripture. And in this chapter, Paul begins to identify three human entities that are critical In order for a church to be healthy. He begins to define what it looks like in order for a church to be truly healthy. First we talked about the church as a whole. And then Paul began to talk about the individuals that actually make up the church. In this passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning, Paul begins to focus on probably the most critical component of a healthy church, and that is that the church would have healthy leaders. Probably the most critical component of a healthy church is that a church would have healthy leaders. Now I defined you a few moments ago when I said that every child of God is a leader in some way. But notice this, I did not say that every person or every child of God is necessarily a healthy leader. Just because we are a leader in some way in our life does not mean that we are a healthy leader. And so how many of you would believe that God wants us to understand what it's like to have a healthy, godly leadership available through our lives? Can I hear a good amen? The author of Courageous Leadership once wrote this, The local church is the hope of the world, and its future rests primarily in the hands of its leaders. Wow, that's a pretty powerful statement. What does that mean? Listen, I'm not saying this morning that the leader is the most important part of a healthy church because here is what we know. We know that with God, there are no unimportant people. And so when I'm talking about the main focal leader, that would normally mean the pastor of the church. And so I'm not saying that there are any unimportant people in God's house. But we also know this, that unfortunately, without healthy leaders, a church will not be healthy. If the church is not filled with healthy leadership, then the church will not be healthy. When you read the book of Acts, when you read Paul's letters, we begin to learn about Paul's strategy for reaching lost people. He begins to describe to us how we're supposed to reach our world for Jesus. Paul would go into a new area. He would then begin to preach the gospel. Once he got there and after he started to preach the gospel, people would begin to be saved. And it is then that he would start a brand new church. He would then stay for a couple of years. He would build the leadership up, get the leaders in place, and then he would move on to the next place, and he would start the whole process over and over and over again. He did this continuously in his life. He would go to a new place. People would be saved, raise them up, disciple them, build them up as godly leaders, and allow that church to survive and thrive, and then he would move on to the next place. Somehow, even in the age that Paul lived in, he was able to maintain contact with all of these churches, which is a miracle when you understand how slow communication was at this time. We just went through several of, our, um, several of the boxes that we've had in our attic. We had a garage sale a couple of weeks ago. And as we went through all of this stuff, there are several things that moved out of storage from our home in Arkansas that were actually in storage in Arkansas, and then we moved them into storage here up in the attic, and so we had several, how many's had some boxes like that, right? They just stay boxed up, and you don't get into them. Well, we decided we're going to get everything out of the attic, and we started opening some of these boxes up, and as we started looking through them, we found all All of our old love letters, come on now. Woo! It was awesome. I mean, we had love letter after love letter. And so let me tell you something. If you want something exciting to do as as a married couple, you find your old love letters and you just lay in bed at night and you read your old love letters to one another. Now that is some excitement. So that's what we've been doing every once in a while. I've been getting some of those old love letters out. But in some of those boxes as well, not only did we find communication back then, but we also found some love letters from my great grandparents, some of them from 1900, 1915 through that era, some old love letters that have been passed down to me. So we were reading through some of those and literally we had to teach and tell our kids that when you wanted to communicate back then, that you would send a letter on this day because you knew that they would get it on this day. And one letter said, I hope that you can come. My great grandmother said, I hope that you can come to my house on On Wednesday so we had to explain to our kids that they she probably had to send that on the Wednesday before so that he would get that and and then on by Saturday or some other time and so then that he would understand okay I'm supposed to go here and my great-grandmother never knew whether or not he probably got it she was just waiting on whether he would show up that day so we started talking about this communication process because how many know we haven't always had this thing right here right Communication is just a little bit different than it was back then. And so Paul began to communicate through letters. Communication was slow, but somehow Paul was able to stay in communication with all of these churches even though communication was slow. It's pretty incredible how he was able to do that. He would continue to go through this process. It could take weeks. It could take months sometimes for a letter or a message to be delivered to someone to the church. And at times, Paul would send one of the people that he was mentoring in one area back to a place that he had planted the church. And that's what he's describing in this passage of Scripture. He's been mentoring this person. And he says, I'm going Going to send him to you, and it's apparently the plan that he has for the Philippian church. He planned, the Bible tells us, to send a young man by the name of Timothy. <laughs> How many knows this guy named Timothy, right, from Scripture? He had called Timothy his trusted son in the gospel. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy to come and check on this young church. And also, I want him to come to minister to you so that you can continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. Ephroditus also became connected with Paul's ministry when he was selected by the Philippian church to deliver the missions offering for Paul. Now, that's a pretty big responsibility. Apparently, after he delivered the offering, Aphrodite stayed with Paul to assist him in all of his missionary travels that he was having at the time. In the process of talking about these two leaders that worked with Paul, Paul begins to identify characteristics of the leaders that God uses. So he's talking about these two men, and then he identifies for us, here's the characteristics of godly leaders that I want you to understand that you can have in your own life. I believe these characteristics are applicable to to you today and to leaders today, this morning. First of all, we see this. Number one, a healthy leader is chosen by God. A healthy leader is chosen by God. We see from 1 Timothy 4 and 14 that the word of God says this. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Paul is speaking to Timothy about the fact that he sees that he has a gift from God to lead other people he sees leadership available in him and he sees and knows that it's from god second timothy chapter 1 verse 6 says therefore i remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What was the laying on of his hands? That was the moment that he was saying, this is official recognition of the gift of leadership that you have and we're going to pray that God's going to bless and anoint that leadership in your life. But it shows everyone else that he's been recognized as a leader. So it's evident to us that Paul And other ministers recognized the call of God that God had placed on Timothy's life. We learn from Scripture that Timothy's father was a Greek and that his mother was actually Jewish. Timothy had been taught the Scriptures as a young man because of his background, because of his Jewish roots. But guess what? He had not been circumcised yet, probably because of the objections of his Greek father. So scripture starts talking about this. But here's what's evident. It's that God had placed his call on Timothy's life to preach the gospel. God had chosen Timothy as a leader. So Paul took Timothy under his wings and began, to, and began to mentor his life. He taught him. He worked with him. He invested time and money with him. He invested his life into the life of this young man. Listen, a God-chosen, healthy leader will invest in other God-called leaders. So here's what I want to tell you. As a leader in this church, you are called to look around you and to invest your life in other people who need to be mentored. You are called as a God-chosen leader to rise up and to begin to look around you, not only to be, to be able to say, well, I'm just concerned about what God wants to do in my life. No, God has called you to look around your life to invest in the lives of other people so that they can be developed as godly leaders. And here's what I'm going to do as your pastor. I commit to not only invest in God-called men and women in this church, but I also commit to invest in other God-chosen people that God brings into my life that are outside of this church. Commit that that i 'm going to invest in you, that we want to resource you here at Vertegras Assembly because we believe in godly leaders this just a couple of weeks ago we um, on a Saturday we had miss miss ruth 's birthday party, and we were celebrating with Miss Ruth and it, we were having a great time and While I was sitting there at the birthday party, I was talking with a friend of mine from here in the community, and he walked up and 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 he sat down with us, and we were talking about just different things about life and 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 as we were, were doing that, another man from the community walked up to me and he said, "Hello, uh, my name is." And he told me his name, and then and then I told him mine. I said, "It's um, it's a pleasure to meet you." And and then he told me that he pastored a church here around the area, and he found out that I was pastor here. And he said, "I when I found out that you were the pastor here, he said I just wanted to come over here and I just wanted to meet you." So we talked for a few minutes, and and then I said. I said, sir, it was an honor to meet you. And I shook his hand and I said, I appreciate you. And then he looked at me after we shook hands and, and he said, and I appreciate you too. And, and so he walked off and that was the end of the conversation. And the friend who was sitting there next to me, he when when that gentleman walked away, he looked at me and he said, so is that what preachers do? Do they walk around and appreciate one another? <laughs> And, and so I laughed and but here's here's what I take from that. Guess what? You know what? Leaders really do appreciate one another. You see what I was doing was recognizing the spiritual gifting in his life. I was saying I appreciate you because I appreciate what he does for the kingdom of God. How many of you realize that as a leader we need to appreciate and recognize God-chosen people? The people that sit next to you in this room are not only friends that you have, they're not only people in the community, but they are God-chosen leaders. And you need to recognize that God has chosen them to do a great work in their life, in their neighborhoods, and in their community, and in this church. You need to recognize them and appreciate them as God-chosen leaders. You see... When you see the gift of God at work in the life of another leader, you should recognize that gift and encourage that gift. You should be encouraging the gift of leadership in one another. You see, that's called healthy leadership. But when leaders in a church began to look at something that is wrong in somebody else's life, we leave out an an important characteristic of godly leadership. Instead of trying to find out what someone is doing wrong, we need to find out what other people are doing right. Amen? Paul in the introduction of his letters identifies himself as a person that is called by God or an apostle by the will of God. So Paul firmly believed that healthy leaders are chosen by God. As a matter of fact, one of the fundamental beliefs of the assemblies of God is that we believe in a God-called ministry. We believe that people are called of God to do ministry. We believe that every follower of Jesus is called to some type of ministry. Not everyone that has been called to ministry has been called to occupational ministry. See, some people get mixed up about ministry and when they hear the word ministry, they think, I'm not going to ever stand on that stage. There's no way that I'm ever going to do that. Listen, there's a difference between occupational ministry and ministry. Every leader has been called of God with a ministry, but it's not necessarily occupational ministry. It doesn't mean that you have to stand up in front of other people and talk or preach or take up an offering or lead worship or teach a class. Come on. But you still have a God-called ministry. It was evident to Paul that Timothy was a young man that was called of God. He had a calling on his life. And because of that, he made a decision, Paul did, to invest in the life of Timothy because he believed that he had been chosen by God. So my question is, who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? Who are the people that are surrounding your life that you have made a decision to invest in their life? Who are the godly people that are surrounding you that instead of just walking up to them and saying, oh, hi, how are you doing? And going your way and talking about the weather when everybody's talked about the weather. Come on. Instead of just doing the normal that everybody else has done, who are you investing in? Who are you digging deeper into in order to raise them up to be godly leaders? The next thing that we see is this. Next we see that a healthy leader is a team player. Everybody say team player. team player. Philippians chapter 2 verse 21 says, "For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus." Wow. Paul is identifying some problems. He's saying, "Look, there's a lot of selfish people." <laughs> There's a lot of people that are just trying to do their own thing. He understood the concept that Jesus had instituted. One of the first things that Jesus did when he started his public ministry was to do what? He called some men to join with him, to be with him, and to learn from him, right? When he started his public ministry, he didn't go out and say, I'm going to do this all by myself. He started reaching out. He started going to the banks of the river and and the Sea of Galilee. And he started saying, hey guys, I want you to come and be involved with me in ministry. I want you to partner with me. He would go to the tax collector. He would go to all these different types of people and say, hey, come and follow me. You see, Jesus understood that he needed help. Now think about this. I just said, this is Jesus we're talking about. Why would Jesus need help? This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the creator of the universe. Why would Jesus choose people to work with Him? Isn't God able to do anything? Isn't He the God of the impossible? Why would Jesus need help? Listen, even though Jesus was the Son of God, He never attempted to do ministry all by Himself. He trained up. He equipped a team of people to work with him. And even eventually, he began to send out these people to minister without his physical presence being with them. He began to send them out and said, You go do the ministry. I'm not coming this time, but you've seen me do it, and you've done it with me. Now you go out and do it. Wow. It's interesting even then when Jesus sent them out, that He sent them out in pairs. What was He saying? Don't ever go alone. Always take somebody with you. Come on, somebody. Jesus understood the team concept. Notice this, notice the terminology that Paul uses with Ephroditus, Philippians 2 and 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you, Ephroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Did you notice all of that? My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. In other words, Paul was identifying in Ephroditus, we've been doing this thing together we've been doing ministry together we've been working together as a team listen while healthy leaders understand that they may be the leader in charge they also understand that they are not more important or valuable than other healthy leaders just because there's an ascending order in leadership does not mean that one is more valuable than another person come on There's no one that is more valuable to God than you are. Woo, did you hear what I said? I said there's no one that's more valuable to God than you are. I don't care if you're on the bottom of of the income rung of the ladder or the very top. I don't care whether or not you are at the top of politics or at the bottom and you just like to gripe about it. Come on. I I don't care what your position is. There's no one that is more valuable to God than you are. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head. Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working and by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're all working together. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus is the head. He's number one, but everything else, regardless of how what we would say a person is really vastly important in somebody else. But listen, I want you to understand something: that if if you cut off a member of your body and you cut something off, you are going to notice that it's gone. You're gonna you're gonna miss that thing that's gone, right? And when your body's hurting, when you're going to miss something that's gone, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, we're all working together. No matter how big, no matter how small, we're all a part of the body of Christ, and we should be working together, following the head, which is Christ. This passage shows us that our primary function as a healthy leader is to train and equip and motivate people for ministry. It is my opinion this morning that one of the reasons that many churches, not all, but many churches stay small, is that they have a pastor that tries to do all of the ministry all by themselves, and they never train or equip people for ministry, and they wind up having to do all of the ministry all by themselves. Happens all the time. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says this: for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. 2 Corinthians 8 and 23 then says, If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. We are a team. We are called to work together, chosen with a pur- purpose from God to accomplish His will in the world today. To, listen, team means together everyone accomplishes more. As a team, we can accomplish more together for the kingdom of God. How many of you believe that? We need to be a team player. I want to invite the worship team to come to the front this morning. God has called us to be a leader, each and every one of us. Number one, who are you investing in? Who are you pouring into? Who have you chosen to begin to pour your life into? How is God using you to be developed as a leader? I want to ask you this question. What would eternity look like If we stopped right now, right now, what would eternity look like? What if things stopped? What if Jesus did come back in this moment? What if we went to heaven and stood before God and answered to him right now? not only for our individual lives but what if we stood before God right now and what if we stood before God as a church what if we had to answer to God for ourselves as a church what if we get to answer for God for how we worked together to affect eternity as a church. How would that stat line read for Vertigris Assembly? Would we be personally, would we be corporately together accomplishing God's will? If we stopped it right now, just we're standing before God. How would that read? A lot of times people like to talk about their glory years in in high school, especially men. <laughs> if coach just would have put me in the game, come on, right? Talk about boy, I was really good back then. So a lot of guys like to talk about their glory days, and maybe some of you remember a gentleman by the name of A.C. Green. A.C. Green played for the Los Angeles Lakers, the Showtime Lakers. He won several championships with them and played with Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all of those great players. And and he was a fantastic player in his own right. And A.C. Green said this. He said, at Benson High School in Portland, Oregon, I was a sports-minded, egotistical maniac. He said, I was the tallest guy on the team, and I could have broken several scoring records. But my head coach, Coach Gray, wouldn't let me. He said, Coach Gray wouldn't allow me to break the records. But he said, even with the breaks on, twice that year, I scored 39 points And in the season finale, I scored 40. He said, I averaged 27 points per game that year. That's incredible. As a team, we scored more than 100 points in seven games and and averaged over 90 for the whole year. I was voted the Oregonians All-Metro Player of the Year. The coach wouldn't allow Green, he said, to be the hot shot scorer, however, because he was more interested in the final stat, which was whether or not they became the number one basketball team in the state. His viewpoint of the team was not about AC Green being the number one player, but his viewpoint of the team was that the team would be the number one team. So he knew the only way the players could reach that championship level was for them to become team players working together. A.C. Green said, In basketball and in life, everyone starts out with a what's-in-it-for-me attitude. That natural selfishness, he says, has to be broken in order for you to be a winner. You have to realize you can't do it all by yourself. You need the team. Coach Gray made me pass the ball and made me play unselfishly. Regardless of individual stats, we, he said, the team reached the top, went all the way, and won it all. That's the reason this morning that we're talking about healthy leaders today because when we work together for the glory of God, we can accomplish so much more than we can as individuals. It's not about being able to highlight one superstar here and one superstar here or to elevate a pastor or to elevate a team leader. It's not about that. It's about elevating everyone together. It's about as you as a leader saying I'm going to rise up and I'm going to look beyond myself and I'm going to lift up others around me let me tell you something when you make the choice supernaturally in your spirit when you make a choice that you're going to look beyond yourself and you're going to start to raise up other people around you guess what happens as the water level rises all boats are going to rise including yours you want to continue to grow as a leader you start lifting other people up you start looking around you and start resourcing other people caring for other people meeting needs purposefully asking about people's lives being kind encouraging other people that's leadership you start lifting up other people and you are going to continue to rise up as well how many of you believe you want to be a healthy leader for Jesus amen Could you stand with me this morning?